Welcome to Liquid Church Media. The message you're about to enjoy was originally delivered live at Liquid Church by Pastor Tim Lucas. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins. All right, hey, welcome to Liquid Church, everybody. Glad you are here. We gotta give a special welcome to all of our sister campuses joining us around the state. Glad you're here. Or if you're on Church Online, my name's Tim, one of the pastors here. I'm thrilled you're here for our new series, Words to the Wise. Uh, For the next few weeks, our entire church, we're gonna be digging deep into the book of Proverbs and hopefully growing a bit wiser in the process. Or as they say in Boston, wicked smart. Can you turn to your neighbor and say, wicked smart, all right? That's what's going to happen here. This is a series on wisdom in all the areas of life that matter most, from our relationships, marriages, our families, our work, our words. How do we handle conflict? How do we handle kids? How do we handle money? All these important things, including discovering God's larger purpose for our lives on earth. I have a feeling you're going to love this series because Proverbs is super practical and extremely relevant, especially for the 21st century. Um, Because right now, you and I live in this information age. It's really a a culture of information overload, right? It's kind of a shallow, fragmented world of Twitter, Facebook, Tumblr, Instagram, Snapchat. Our lives are crammed full of, you know, Netflix cues, uh, Pinterest boards, fantasy football, 24 hours, news, reality TV, this constant flow of information that all say, urgent, urgent, read me important, important information. The reality is most of it is not. In fact, most of it is an escape from daily life. So our main problem in the 21st century is not lack of information. It's a lack of wisdom. Everyone say the word wisdom. How do we apply the knowledge that we already have in a coherent way? Because in this kind of fragmented, complex, multilayered world, it can be very difficult to piece together a life of beauty, a life of meaning, a life that is actually well-lived to the glory of God. Enter the book of Proverbs. Proverbs is going to tell us that each of us is on a path. We're all on this journey, kind of heading somewhere, becoming someone through the daily decisions and choices that we make. And the question is, which of these paths are you on? According to Proverbs, there are two paths in life. There's the path of wisdom or wise living, which leads to life and love, success, peace, prosperity. And then there's the path of folly or foolishness, which leads to death, relational conflict, strife, poverty, pain. And God is your father and our heavenly father loves us. And as his kids, he wants us all on the path of life because he wants us to be successful in the areas of life that matters most. So God says, I'm going to give you a book and it's going to be called Proverbs. And these are your heavenly father's words to the wise that are going to teach us how to walk in wisdom in the decisions we make every day. Now, if you take your Bible and open it, it's pretty easy to locate Proverbs. In fact, when most people open their Bible, you open it up, it turns right in the middle to what? Psalms. If you take a look at your table of contents, Proverbs is right after Psalms. It goes Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. And this is a special type of book in the Bible. It's called Wisdom Literature. And what's going to happen is you're going to see these Proverbs has hundreds and hundreds of what I call wisdom nuggets. They're these tiny, like, little two-line sayings that give a moral insight about people in life. Now, most of them are very short, like two lines, but they're succinct and memorable. In fact, you may not be familiar, like, with biblical Proverbs, but I guarantee you, you already know some because every culture has Proverbs. For instance, uh, don't judge a book by its better late than, uh, better safe than, 
Out of sight, out of? The early bird catches the? Okay, you guys know this. Proverbs are these short, bite-sized nuggets of wisdom that give you insight into like human behavior or like how the world works. And uh, people I find today are so hungry for true wisdom, for like practical advice, they'll look in the most crazy places. They'll even look at fortune cookies. How many of you read your fortune cookie after you eat Chinese? Okay, all right, thank you. Um, Fortune cookies give all sorts of of wisdom and advice like this. Uh, Stop procrastinating starting tomorrow. That one I love. I love that one. That's for me. This one's kind of fun. Some days you are pigeon. Some days you are statue. Today, bring umbrella. All right, that's appropriate for us. This one is for the married men in the house. Wise husband is he who thinks twice before saying nothing. <laughs> should write that down. That should be in the Bible, all right? Not just a fortune cookie. And this one, you just have to endure because my kids love it. He who goes to bed with itchy behind wakes up with stinky fingers. I'm sorry. I apologize. I know. I'm like, I'm not putting that in there. You had to endure it, but now I'm the cool dad. So just suck it up. My favorite is uh, fortune cookie is the one that simply says, that wasn't chicken, right? Think about it when you go out to eat. A biblical proverb is a lot more than a clever quip or like kind of a witty saying. The proverbs that we're going to study over the next few weeks come from the word of God himself. So they contain divine wisdom about living with what I call divine discernment or godly guidance, particularly in relationships. For instance, let me show you this biblical proverb found in Proverbs 27, verse 6. I want to read this out loud together. Here's what it says. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies what? Kisses. Again, two-liner kind of wisdom nugget, but very profound. Look at the first two lines. Wounds from a friend can be trusted. In other words, it reminds us that just because somebody is critical of us doesn't mean they're not our friend. In fact, according to the Bible, a true friend is the one who actually is willing to tell you the hard truth, even when it hurts. They kind of stab you in the front, not in the back. Watch. But an enemy multiplies what? Kisses. Turn to the person next to you, give him a kiss on the lips. No, don't do that. Don't do that. Back with me. Don't do that. In other words, many times the person who does not have your best in mind, the fake friend, is the one who sucks up and flatters you because they have another agenda, theirs, and they want to manipulate you. See, Proverbs are not like fortune cookies. Fortune cookies lack nutritional value. You can quickly consume them. But Proverbs are profound. They contain these deeper kind of nourishing truths, and they're meant to be savored. In other words, read, slowly meditated on, and absorbed into the heart. They're kind of like hard candy. You have to suck on them a while. Have you ever had a gobstopper, like at the movies, you know, gobstoppers? Right? You kind of suck on it. Have you ever tried to crack it with your teeth? Right? You kind of break your teeth. Same thing. That's not how you digest a gobstopper. You have to take your time. You suck on it. You slowly ingest it. Same thing with Proverbs. You're going to read hundreds and hundreds of Proverbs throughout this series, and you're going to be surprised how well they apply to modern life in all the areas you and I need God's wisdom the most. For instance, if you are, are single, a single person, and you're dating, or you're here today, you're like, yeah, I am single, I'm ready to mingle. Um, what should you look for, uh, you know, in a prospective mate, you know? And does God have any advice, you know, for men about picking a woman? Well, enter Proverbs 31, which says this. Go ahead, Proverbs 31. Charm is deceptive, beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. In other words, charm, flirty words, the wink of an emoji, that's very deceptive, okay? Looks fade, but a woman who puts God first in her life, that's the real 
deal. She is worth a lot more than a Tinder swipe right, okay? Keep this in mind if you're scrolling through profiles on Match.com, all right? You're going to see we're going to get into relationship advice. Any parents here, okay, parents? How do you deal with a difficult kid like you saw in our video, right? A toddler who throws tantrums, teens with a temper. Look at Proverbs 23, 13. It says, do not withhold what? Discipline from a child. If you punish them with what? The rod, they will not die, okay? So Proverbs is pro-discipline, okay? My, my house, it was the wooden spoon. Listen, it's not just like necessarily a wooden spoon, okay? They're, they're like, hey, your kids are going to act like they're dying, or it sounds like they're dying. They won't, okay? But, but Proverbs is going to show us that actually discipline, true biblical discipline, is not just a wooden spoon. It's inflicting temporary pain for a redemptive purpose later in life. In other words, you see your kid at any age doing something that's going to hurt or damage them, and out of love, you, 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 you give them a time out. No, you know? Or you ground them when they're a teenager. You're not going to the party on Friday night. No, you're ruining my life. You take away their keys, right? You're killing me. But the reality is you do it out of love, and disciplined parenting inflicts temporary pain to spare them permanent injury later in life. It has a redemptive purpose. I'm looking at this, and I'm like, hey, can you still spank teenagers if they're taller than you, right? Okay? There's these gray areas we're going to get at. Proverbs is going to show us these words to the wise, to families, to parents. It even addresses finances, okay? Are you wise about your money, what you give, what you save, what you spend? Do you invest wisely? Let's be honest, right? How many of anybody here in debt, right? How do you get out of debt quickly? Does anybody here have credit card debt? Here's a question for you. Is it a wise thing to do or a foolish thing to do if you take out a loan at a lower rate to pay it down? What does the Bible say about something like that? Enter Proverbs 22.7. says, the rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is, what's the word here? Slave to the lender. Visa, MasterCard, Amex, what's in your wallet, and what are you a slave to, Okay. This is going to be super practical, guys, because God gives this divine discernment for for godly living, especially in the gray areas of life. Like, of course, when it comes to money, of course, we want to be generous. But here's a question. Do you co-sign on a loan for your 25-year-old daughter who's just starting out? That's a gray area requiring wisdom. Wisdom is the skillful application of knowledge. We all know God says honor marriage, but Google can't tell you who to date or how to pick a marriage partner well, or whether to break up with someone. That's a gray area. It requires wisdom. See, so much of life, I would say almost 90%, is not simply a matter of black and white, right or wrong. Sometimes it's weighing the good versus God's best. And a foolish decision in any of these key areas can lead to serious consequences. That's why I'm going to tell you right up front, I don't think information is enough. Facts are not enough. Self-help books are not enough. Your gut instinct, not enough. You need something in today's world that is in rare supply, and that's godly wisdom. Author Ray Ortland says this. He says, if we have love but not wisdom, we will harm people with the best of intentions. If we have courage but not wisdom, we will blunder boldly. If we have truth but not wisdom, we will make the gospel ugly to other people. And if we have technology but not wisdom, we will use the best communications ever invented to broadcast stupidity, okay? Nobody here wants to broadcast stupidity. That's what Snapchat is for, okay? Here's the deal. As sons and daughters of God, we want to grow up. We want to learn from our heavenly father and absorb his words 
to the wise. So would you open your Bible or you can flip in your phone to Proverbs chapter 1. We're going to look at the first seven verses today as we set the stage for the weeks to come. Proverbs 1 verse 1, here's what it says. The Proverbs of, you know what, let's read all the words in caps out loud together, right? The Proverbs of who? Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, for gaining wisdom and instruction, for understanding words of insight, for receiving instruction in prudent behavior, doing what is right and, and, very good, for giving prudence to those who are simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. Let the wise listen. Next verse, please. Uh, Did you skip one there? I think so. Let the wise listen. I'll read it to you anyway. And add to their learning and let the discerning get guidance for understanding proverbs and parables, the sayings and riddles of the wise. And then here's the key verse today. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. And we'll stop right there. Now, I think it'll be a little bit helpful to you to understand where these Proverbs came from. And you see the source right there named in verse 1. It's a king by the name of what? Solomon. Solomon was the third king over Israel. He was the son of King David, the guy who fought Goliath. He reigned somewhere between 971 and 931 BC. So this is about a thousand years before Jesus Christ steps on the scene in the New Testament. So this is an ancient book of wisdom you're holding. This is over 3,000 years old. And Solomon is listed as the author and collector of these wise saying, which is appropriate because Solomon is regarded in the Bible as the wisest man in the world. This is fascinating. Cool backstory I discovered this week is kind of researching in 1 Kings. After Solomon became king, God spoke to him in a dream. He said, I'm going to give you whatever you want. Just ask for one thing and it's going to be yours. Now think about that. What would you ask for, right? To be rich, to be famous, what would you ask for? You know what Solomon asked for? Solomon didn't ask for wealth. Solomon didn't ask for fame. Solomon didn't ask for long life. He didn't say, kill all my enemies. Solomon said, I'm going to ask God for one thing, and that is wisdom. He said, I'm young. I feel like a little kid, and I need a heart of wisdom if I'm going to guide your people and lead them well. And you know how God responded? This is so cool. 1 Kings 3 says this. The Lord was pleased that Solomon asked for wisdom. So God replied, Because you've asked for wisdom in governing me and my people with justice and have not asked for a long life or wealth or the death of your enemies, I will give you what you asked for. I will give you a wise and understanding heart such as no one else has had or ever will have. And this is cool. And I will also give you what you did not ask for, riches and fame. No other king in all the world will be compared to you for the rest of your life. Isn't that cool? Because Solomon had such humility. Solomon had this teachable spirit. His humble request pleased God so much. They said, I'm not only going to make you wise, but I'm also going to give you riches and fame and power and a long life too. And guys, this is a living illustration of Jesus' teaching. Seek first the kingdom of God and all these other things will what? Be added to you as well. And everyone around Solomon was blessed by his wisdom. Israel actually enjoyed a golden age of peace and prosperity under Solomon. They built the temple in Jerusalem. What's the point? Wisdom in itself, guys, is a blessing, but in addition to wisdom, there are all these side benefits for doing life's God's way. When you walk in God's truth, when you actually seek his will through studying the scriptures, through prayer, when you humbly ask him, God, show me the way I need wisdom, not only are you blessed, 
The people all around you in your life are blessed. Your family's blessed. Your spouse is blessed. Our children are blessed. Our friends are blessed. Our work is blessed. In Proverbs, Solomon's going to say, guys, wisdom is greater than anything in life. Riches, fame, or power. In chapter 3, look what Solomon says. He says, blessed are those who find wisdom, those who gain understanding, for she is more valuable than what? Silver. Yields better returns than what? Gold. She is more precious than rubies. Nothing you desire can compare with her. Understand, Solomon wasn't just the wisest ruler in human history. He was the richest one too. Solomon had legendary wealth. That's why you see him talking about gold and silver and rubies. They were, he was the envy of the ancient world. He had more bling than Queen Beyonce 2,000 years later in Brooklyn, okay? Solomon, filthy, rich, and famous, and he says, none of it compares to wisdom. Not all the money in the world. If you can get your mind right and see situations from God's perspective and live with divine discernment, everything else will fall into place. Everything else is just gravy. See, in Proverbs, you're going to see Solomon speaking. He's going to speak as a king, to his court. He actually used these proverbs to train his leaders for royalty. You'll hear him speaking as a father to his sons, to his daughters, over and over. He will constantly say things like this. Listen, my sons. Come on, we're going to have a family huddle. Listen to a father's instruction. Pay attention. Gain understanding. Get wisdom. Get understanding. Don't forget my words or turn away from them. Don't forsake wisdom and she will protect you. He, he visions her as a, as, 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 a, as a woman. He says, love her. She'll watch over you. The beginning of wisdom is this, ready? Get wisdom. Though it costs all you have, get understanding. Cherish her, she'll exalt you. Embrace her, she'll honor you. Listen, my son, accept what I say and the years of your life will be many. I instruct you in the way of wisdom and lead you along what? straight paths. Again, the image for us is going to be of two paths going in different directions. One is the path of folly or foolishness and pride, which leads to pain and death. And the other is a path of wisdom, which is humility, discernment, a teachable spirit. That's the great sin of Proverbs, an unteachable spirit. I got nothing to learn. I know it all. He says, wisdom is going to lead to blessing, honor, and long life. And Solomon is like, guys, listen to me. I'm the wisest man in history, so let me give you some words to the wise. Pick the path of wisdom, which raises a question. What exactly is wisdom? Like, it talks about knowledge. It talks about information. What's wisdom? Go back to verse 2 there in chapter 1. It says, Proverbs are for gaining wisdom and instruction, and for understanding, here it is, words of, what's it say? Insight. Guess what insight means? Insight means to see into a situation. So wisdom is just more, is more than just the surface facts, right? That's what knowledge is. You go to school, you go to college, you get knowledge. You get facts, you get data, you get research. You have all the information for a body of knowledge, and then you get to pass the test. But wisdom is more than just the facts. Wisdom sees into a situation. It looks under the hood and says, I, 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 look at how the dynamics work between men and women. He says that, and she says that, and they miss each other. How can you talk wisely to each other? Uh, wisdom says, uh, I, I hear this child's request, and it seems greedy, and it seems self-centered, but I can see the heart behind it and know that actually if I inflict punishment right now, I may actually break, break something in their spirit. See, you, you don't just pass the test. You know how to apply it to the curves and the gray areas of life. It's insight at work. It's saying, well, we have this situation, and if I go and I tell the boss this, 
I think this is what will happen. He'll, he'll end up raising up the ladder and then she will come over here and then, oh gosh, that will ha- affect the team. You see like a chess player, two or three spaces and moves ahead of you. Things that others might miss at first glance. So here's a little test. Let's see if you have knowledge or if you have wisdom. You ready? Here's what knowledge is. I'll give you an example. This is something you may not know. Don't look. Tomato, is it a fruit or a vegetable? Oh, you gave the answer away. How many of you know that tomato is a fruit? How many of you know that's about half of you? Some of you are like, new information. Write it down. Awesome. That's knowledge. You just learned a fact. Knowledge is knowing tomato is a fruit. Wisdom is knowing not to put it in fruit salad. Okay? You say, oh, yeah, okay. It falls in that class, but if I did that, that sucks. Okay? That's not going to work. Here's another example which married couples will appreciate. Knowledge is knowing what to say. Wisdom is knowing when to say it. Okay, husbands, you ever have this? You're waiting. Come on, we're five minutes late, and she comes down, and she says, all right, I just, do I look fat in this? And you're like, is this a trap? Yes, yes, this is a trap. This is not, do do not say it now. This is not that moment. If your husband learns that he's not getting a bonus this year, you don't say, hey, the kids need braces. There's a moment and a time for everything. And knowing what to say and when to say it, let me tell you, is the difference between a happy relationship characterized by peace and relational harmony and one that is marked by emotional pain and constant conflict. If you're taking notes, and I recommend you do for the series, here is a very good working definition for wisdom. It is divine discernment for daily living, especially in the gray areas. So much of life occurs in the gray areas, right? These muddy kind of complex situations where the answer is not cut and dry matter, simply following the rules. Remember, Israel had all the rules. They had 10 of them. They were called the what? The 10 commandments. The God used the top 10 commandments. He said, hey, here are the guardrails for life. For instance, the rules say, hey, thou shalt not steal. Don't steal. That is a very good cut and dry baseline for it. But you need more than thou shalt not steal to decide, should I loan money to my, my lazy brother-in-law who's like chronically out of work? And, or is that just kind of feeding his kind of lazy? That's a gray area requiring wisdom. The rules say, don't bear false witness, don't lie. Well, should you tell the truth? Of course you tell the truth. Always tell the truth. But at work, should you confront a coworker who isn't pulling his or her weight on your team? And if you tell the truth and actually confront them, how do you do it? Do you do it over email? Or do you do it in a text? Or do you do it in person? Do you do it face-to-face? Or do you do an end run around and tell their manager, let them deal with it? That's a gray area that requires wisdom and discernment. And to succeed in life, you need more than rules and facts, especially in these gray areas. For instance, let's say somebody says something to you that you don't like. They kind of fire an arrow at you. And you're like, man, that didn't feel really good. What do you do? Do you return fire? Do you send an arrow back to send a message? I heard you. You send two back that say, don't hit me again. Do you use a machine gun? Or are you a good Christian? Do you stay silent? Well, I don't hit back. I don't say anything at all, just suck it up. Is that what God wants? Or if somebody, they share sensitive information about somebody else, and you're like, I don't know if that's appropriate for them to tell me about them. Do you listen to it? When you hear it, do you go then tell the other person? Do you repeat it? Do you pass it on? Do you post it on Facebook? Folly, okay? Every day is filled with hundreds and hundreds, guys, of little choices about how how we act, how we react, and then how we overreact. And we make hundreds and hundreds of decisions every single day. And if you don't examine them, watch, those little decisions over time become habits. 
And those habits then become routines. And our routines turn into patterns which shape the course of our life, where we're going and who we're becoming. And so you need wisdom, divine discernment, or godly guidance for daily living, especially in the gray areas. Now, if you're here right now and you're like, man, I'm so glad you're doing this series. This is for so-and-so. Man, they are not the sharpest crayon in the box. I'm going to send them the MP3 of this. Uh, understand something, because you're like, you know, I'm, I'm wise. I went to grad school or whatever. Wisdom is not determined by your degree or your education. If, if you're like, man, I got a lot of alphabets behind my name. You know, I'm wise. No, 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 no. You can be a brilliant lawyer. You can be a brilliant doctor, a college professor, an engineer, and be absolutely clueless about how to have a successful marriage. There's so many brilliant people on their third or fourth marriages, and they're still floundering. You can know a tremendous amount about starting a business or selling a product or making money, but absolutely nothing about managing your anger or how to handle temptation or how to respond to criticism or finding true happiness in this world. Every single one of us, you know somebody, right, who you're like, man, they should be a success. They have all the tools that the world requires, right? They're well-educated, they're talented, they're wealthy, they're charismatic, whatever. And yet, they careen through life from crisis to crisis constantly sabotaging themselves and leaving a trail of bodies. Why? Because they lack wisdom in relating to people, and they lack wisdom, worst of all, relating to God. And that's why Solomon, he says, I'm going to aim Proverbs at two groups of people. The question is, who are you? Who is Proverbs written for? Look at verse 4. It says, forgiving prudence to those who are, what's the word? Simple. Knowledge and discretion to the what? Young. So Proverbs is first written for the simple and the young, which simply means like teenagers, okay? I'm dead serious. Simple does not mean stupid here. It just means a simple person is someone who lacks experience. They don't really know how the world works yet. It's in many, Solomon wrote a lot of these to his sons, and so this is like an 18-year-old leaving, you know, her, her small town. She's leaving for college and going to the big city, and she lacks, you know, experience, or they're starting a job, and maybe there's some naivete about how this works, and there's a little gullibility. So it's not stupid, it's just being simple and not realizing what you're getting into, like I did my freshman year of college. My first week of freshman orientation, I went to a school called Wheaton College out in Chicago, and uh, I was there for freshman orientation before classes began just to get to know other dormmates. And so my dormmate and I, across uh, the door from us, were these guys who didn't seem to fit in. It was a very, like, preppy kind of school. So like, everyone looked like vineyard vines kind of thing. And these guys, we see them get out of their door, and they're wearing black Metallica shirts. And they're, like, cranking poison, da na 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 kind of thing and everything. And we're like, well, that's a little bit weird. But they're like, no, come on in, man, come on in. And we go into their dorm room, and they have a little mini fridge stocked with Coke. And we're like, we're friends. We are totally friends with you guys. They're, they even had a panini maker, and they had, like, everything. We are like, instant friends with these guys. And so we're hanging out with them, and kind of unlikely, and they go, hey, dude, you want to see something cool? And he pulls down a box, and he pulls out this black gun, but it's a BB gun. He goes, no, no, don't forget, it's just a BB gun. I was like, oh, okay. And the way it worked is all the guys lived in the male dorm, and it was a quad. So we're on this side, then there's like a big U, and the girls are on this side. And so he goes, he goes watch this, watch this. And they roll open their windows, they go, like this. They go watch this. Ping! And they shoot a BB, and he goes, hits the window across the way, and this girl comes, she goes, you know, who is that? He goes, watch this. And she disappears, and then three girls come back, and they're all looking like this, and they, and he goes, and now more girls, and they all start waving and everything. He's like, go ahead, try it. I was like, all right. Just start, you know, nailing it and everything, and we're all having fun. We're like, this is good, this is fun, it's cool. All of a sudden, woo, police cars 
come ripping into the quad. And the guys are like, oh, that's okay. Why don't you guys go? They overreact to stuff around here. And they put it all away, and we're like, okay, that was weird. Next morning is first day of classes. I walk out of our dorm. I got my book bag on. got my L.L. Bean on. And I walk past the girls' dorms, and the first floor of windows are shattered, riddled like spider webs. Every BB had not been flicking off like we thought, had been going right through. These girls probably thought they were under terrorist attack. They were not like, hi, guys. They're like, no, stop. No idea. I felt so guilty. I'm like, oh, my gosh. We're sitting in classes. And so that night, my roommate and I, we go to our RA, and we say, you know, this is what happened, everything. The next morning, I was called into the dean of students' office. The second day of classes, okay? Guy comes in, and he, like, has his, the file. He's like, okay, uh, Timothy Paul Lucas uh, from New Jersey. I should have known. Um, <clears throat> you graduated with honors, but... Uh, what possessed you to shoot a firearm at a fellow student? You know, why did you do it? And I'm like, am I going to get expelled? I'm like, we're just talking to our, you know, the guys across the hall. They're, oh, well, let me tell you about the guys across the hall. They are fifth-year seniors. Did you ever wonder why they're living in a freshman dorm during freshman orientation? I'm like, that's bad wisdom right there, you know? He goes, they have caused so much mayhem that they've lost all their off-campus privileges, and they're this close to being kicked out. Mr. Lucas, I suggest you use some wisdom this semester in choosing your friends wisely. Boy, did I feel stupid. I, it's second day. I was such an easy target. 18 years old, first time really away from home, fresh meat. They must have smiled me a mile away. That's what Solomon's talking about. This is first for those who are simple or unexperienced and they're young. It's also for the foolish. People are making bad choices in a mess of their life. I'm going to give you correction and fresh dose of wisdom. But then also he says this. Don't get smarmy, older people. Second group of people it's written for is, in verse 5, the wise. Look at this. It says, let the wise listen, and what does it say? Add to their learning, and let the discerning get guidance. So it's not like, ah, you guys are such suckers. You're a noob, you know? Solomon says, I'm talking also to an older crowd. I'm talking to you sages. I'm talking to the professors. I'm talking to the wicked smart people. And he's saying, no matter how much life experience you have had, you can always get wiser because you need to be a lifelong learner in the school of God. It's not just the young and the gullible. It's the older and experienced who need this book because it's the wisdom of God and you will never outgrow your need to learn from it. Amen? It reminds me of something the great St. Augustine said 1,600 years ago. He said, the Bible is shallow enough for a toddler to wade in and deep enough to drown an elephant. See, it doesn't matter if you're like a brand new believer or you're a seasoned saint. Proverbs are literally God's words to the wise that will help you succeed in any season of life. You know, I've heard it said that Billy Graham actually read a chapter of Proverbs every single day of his life for 60 years straight. Now think about it. Is there anyone in our world who has handled life with all of its complexities with greater tax, skill, and grace than Billy Graham? I'm like, if Billy Graham grounded himself in daily wisdom, we can all use a dose. So I'm going to give you a challenge. Are you ready? I want to challenge every single man, woman, and child here today. Here's what I want you to do. We're in chapter one of Proverbs. I want you to flip to the end of Proverbs. What's the last chapter? Can anybody see? Look, go ahead. If you look in your phone, number what? Chapter 31. So Proverbs has 31 chapters. We are in the month of May. Do you know how many days? The month of May has 
Third, you are wise already. <laughs> Do you feel an assignment coming? <laughs> I want to challenge every single person at Liquid to do something this month that may change your life. For the next month, I'm going to challenge you to read one chapter of Proverbs a day for the next 31 days, and you will read through the entire book in one month. We're calling this the Proverbs Challenge, and it's 31 days of wisdom. It's just to read a chapter a day. It'll actually only take you about 10 minutes or so. And what you're going to find is every day there's like 10 or 20 nuggets of wisdom. And so here's what I want you to do. I want you to pick one. Pick one, write it down, and then ask God a simple question. What are you trying to teach me about this area of my life? What are you saying to me? Whatever jumps out at you from a single chapter. For example, this morning I tweeted Proverbs 9, 10, which says, the fear of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom, hashtag words to the wise. This verse pretty much sums up the entire book. I'll explain what fear of the Lord is in a minute. But every day... Starting tomorrow, Monday morning, read one chapter, but read it slowly, read it deliberately, let it sink in and speak to your heart and say, God, what are you trying to teach me? What are you saying to me? And whatever speaks to you, let the rest of us know. You can tweet it or put it on Facebook or Instagram, use the hashtag words to the wise, and then we're going to kind of encourage each other as we read Proverbs as a church over the next 31 days. I want you to think about this. In 31 days, you could be wicked smart, all right? Wiser, smarter you. That is one of the reasons I want to do this in the spring. I know some of you, let's be honest, some of you are stalled in your Bible engagement, right? If you're like, I haven't opened the Bible in a while, I'm kind of stuck, I don't really have an appetite for it, this is a chance to re-engage. And Proverbs is like the perfect book to start with because it's spring. Spring is a season for planting. And what you plant in the spring brings a harvest when? In the fall. So for 31 days, you're going to be planting these seeds of wisdom. And I don't want, don't be surprised if God highlights something to you in his word right now that he recalls later on this year at a critical juncture point. In other words, so many times I've found people who are like, they, they didn't know what this was for now, but then all of a sudden they're smack hit with this incredibly difficult decision at work weeks later. And they're like, <gasps> going back to what God told them. Or there's a challenge at your work or your family this summer and you need discernment. And God will bring to mind some of the wisdom that you'll be feasting on for the next 31 days. I'm hoping this whets your appetite. Again, today I'm just giving you kind of an overview to set up our study over the next few weeks. But my hope is that you'll dive deeper in yourself this week starting tomorrow with chapter 1. All right? You might want to read it together with your small group as a spring study and then we'll come together on Sunday and dig deeper. Sound good? That's our plan. Now, let me close with verse 7, because this is the key. And it really is, this is how you distill all of Proverbs down into one verse. It says, let's read it together. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Now, that phrase, fear of the Lord, appears over 100 times throughout the Bible, 19 times in the book of Proverbs. And at first glance, can we be honest, it freaks some people out, right? At first glance, it sounds very negative, like, you know, fear of the Lord, you better watch out, man. God is going to get you. He is just waiting for you to do something stupid, and he's going to crack you upside the head, all right? That's not it. Fear of the Lord is never meant as a negative thing. It is a positive statement. What Solomon is saying is that the fear of the Lord, of true wisdom, is your relationship with who? It's with the Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, Everything else is built on this one thing, okay? When Jesus came to the earth, 
1,000 years after King Solomon. He said, now one greater than Solomon is here. In other words, I'm not just wise. I am wisdom personified. 1 Corinthians calls Jesus the power of God and the wisdom of God. In other words, Jesus wasn't just wise. All the fullness of the Trinity dwelled in Jesus. And he came to this earth to show us what the Father's heart was like and what true wisdom looked like up close. He lives the perfect life nobody has ever lived. And what did we do? In our sin-struck stupidity, we nailed wisdom to a cross. We murdered wisdom. That's how stupid sin makes us. But God in his wisdom says, I'm going to use my son's death on a cross to forgive the sin of these fools and restore their relationship with me as their father. That's God's wisdom. He takes our foolish mistakes and he redeems them through his love and his mercy. So Jesus, we see on the cross, God of love, but at the same time, he's to be feared. See, fear of the Lord is just the other side of love of the Lord. When somebody or something becomes precious in your life, your most valuable thing, you have a natural fear or respect for them. For instance, I cherish my wife, Colleen, okay? Outside of my relationship with God, number one, this is the number one most important thing in my life, my marriage with Colleen. And guess what? For 18 years, it's one of the reasons I don't look at pornography. It's one of the reasons I don't meet with other women alone because I fear my wife. Not, let me clarify, let me clarify here. <laughs> Just wait. She's not, she's not like, oh, you know. She, my wife doesn't scare me. She doesn't threaten me. It just means that I honor and respect her and I value our relationship so much. I don't want to do anything to screw that up. Does that make sense? I, I fear her. If you love somebody supremely, you fear them in a healthy way. You don't want to do anything that will hurt the relationship or tear you apart. So when Proverbs says, fear of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom. It means your relationship with Christ is the foundation on which every decision is supposed to be made. You cannot become wise if God is just another thing you've got going on. Like, what are you committed to? Well, I, I like to exercise. I like to read. Uh, I've got my job. I've got CrossFit. I've got my relationship with Jesus. You know, it's among many things. For 31 days, we're going to put Christ first. Why? Because if you want to be truly wise, your relationship with Jesus has to be the central organizing principle around which everything else in your life orbits. So every decision you say, hmm, how is this decision going to affect my relationship with Christ? Will it draw me closer to him or will it actually push me farther away? With every person you choose today, is this going to draw me closer to Jesus or is it going to push me farther away? Every job you take, closer to Jesus or farther away? Every decision, are you going to have kids? Where do we live? Do I take on extra hours? If you fear the Lord, you'll ask everything through this question. How will it affect my relationship with Christ? Because if I lose that, I lose everything. I fear him. See, the question, guys, the stupid question of the fool is, how do I use God to get me what I want? How do I use God to get me the man or woman I want? And we pray this foolish prayer. God, give me a wife and make sure she's hot, right? Folly. For the next 31 days of wisdom, we're going to turn it around. The question is never, how will God get me what I want? Rather, it's how will my decision get me God? Does that make sense? That's wisdom. Because if God's the central thing in your life around which everything else orbits, you both love and you fear him. And that fear of the Lord is liberating. It's a humble posture that says, you know what? Compared to Christ, nothing else in my life matters. 
Nothing. I don't have anything that's in comparison to what I have in him. So can I ask you this to close, to start our series? Do you have that kind of healthy fear of the Lord? Because to love God is to fear God. And if you want real wisdom, you have to have a humble faith and a holy fear that values Christ above all else. Solomon says, only fools despise wisdom. That is, reject Christ and say, you know what, I'm my own God. I got this. I'm going to call the shots. I can handle it. He's like, that's pride. That's unteachable spirit, and it leads to death. But only the cross of Christ leads to real life. Because there you see Jesus, the wisdom of God hanging in our place, dying for rebellious fools like me and you. And you know what? It's because your father loves you. You may reject Jesus. You may be too busy for him, but he still died for you. And he has wisdom calling out to you saying, I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. So for the next 31 days, let me challenge you. Look at Jesus until your pride melts. Until you can call him Lord of my life and my everyday life. And then you'll both love and fear him and begin to grow wise. Amen? Let's bow our heads together for prayer. We're going to commit our next journey to the Lord. Jesus, as we begin this study of Proverbs, I'm going to make a humble request for our church. God, would you let everything we read, everything we think, everything we do draw us closer to your heart? God, infiltrate every area of our lives over this next 31 days. Holy Spirit, I ask that you'd surprise us in, in your word. Would you let us discover your heart in the pages of Proverbs so we can live lives of wisdom? We want wise families, God. We want to be wise friends, wise fathers, wise mothers. We want wise kids. We want to be a church known for wisdom in a culture growing darker by the day. God, right now our world calls white, black, and black, white. It's, it's everything's shifting. But Father... You are the same yesterday, today, and forever. Light up our life with the truth of Jesus Christ. We submit our lives to your word and ask you to lead us on the straight and narrow path. We ask that in the name of Jesus and to his glory. Everybody said together, amen. Thanks for listening to Liquid Church Media. If you were inspired or challenged by today's message, we hope you'll tell a friend. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins.